Now, the Bible has come under a lot of heat and has been the target of a lot of attacks. And this started to crank up really full tilt in the 19th century, 1800s. A little bit already in the 18th century, but it picked up steam and it's become to be labeled as the historical critical method or historical critical interpretation. And you know, or maybe you don't know, that historical critical method is a big, bad thing. The historical critical method really picked up steam in the 19th century, and it was a product of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment is that whole modernist view of, if we just work at it hard enough, we'll figure everything out. So the Enlightenment was very confident that man had all the answers and could be able to understand things. And the Enlightenment said, let's treat the Bible the way it should be treated. It's just a book, like any other book. And so they started to try to read the Bible like that. So they treated it like literature. And there are all kinds of college courses still floating around that way, the Bible as literature. You know, And what are you doing? You're treating the Bible like any other book. And let's just see what it says. Well, that's what they try to do here. And their goal in the historical critical method was to try to get to the the real meaning of things. And they would do that by taking all the tools of literary criticism and all the tools of grammar and of archaeology, and they would pour them into the text to try to figure out what's really going on here. And lots of efforts were made. That's the historical critical method. We would say the historical critical method is in error. It's wrong. And the biggest mistake that the historical critical method makes is it denies the divine side of Scripture. And it assumes that that's not true. Just the human book, not divine. So when they read in the prophets, and the Isaiah the prophet prophesies something that is fulfilled a few years later, they say, well, obviously Isaiah didn't write this. Somebody else didn't put it back in his mouth because nobody could tell the future that right correctly. They don't believe in the possibility of God actually working and doing things. So they discount any kind of prophecy, they discount any miraculous, and they just start re-explaining everything. This was the hallmark of the historical critical method. Trying to figure out what the Bible means by turning loose all of our literary skills on it. <clears throat> in contrast to the historical critical method, we do believe, though, that you can study the Bible, and you do need to pay attention to history and to setting and to grammar. And sometimes around here, you'll get the guys in the new T and the old T who'll give you even better ways of talking about this. And they'll tell you why this is all wrong. But the historical grammatical method is actually okay. That's what we try to follow. Where we pay attention to the history, we pay attention to the setting, we pay attention to careful grammar, but we also recognize that it is God's book. And so, is it divine? Yeah. But it's also human. So the historical grammatical method is trying to pay attention to the fact that it is a book that is fully human and also fully divine. All right. I said this before, but just to reiterate again. So our goal when we read the Bible is not to do a literal reading. Our job is to do a correct reading, a faithful reading. And that can be very different. And you probably were taught somewhere, we take it all literally. Well, not really. We take it all as being God's word and as being a human book, but we need to also read it the way we're supposed to read it. And with an understanding of 
what's the intent of the author, and what is this communicating, and what's it trying to communicate. So is there a place for figurative language? Sure. And if you read figurative language like it's literal, you end up with nonsense. So faithful reading is different than a little straight literal reading. All right. Good. Questions on anything else with the Bible? Because you might have other things you're wondering about. Fire away here. Just yeah. got a quick question. Um, <clears throat> going, it goes back a little bit. Um, that we put our faith in Christ. So, talking the fundamentalist discussion. Um, that we put our faith in Christ, <coughs> and from that, that's the the lens in which we read the Bible. Might be a way to look at it. Mm -hmm. um, then, how do we? And then you know the church through all the ages has helped us understand that because Christ has been proclaimed in the church. Mm -hmm. So then what about like issues like slavery that, you know, back in the, you know, in Paul's 50s, days, slavery and, you know, was we had that issue. And, yeah. and in Paul, right, that how did the church reckon, I, I know it says that it, Paul says slavery is okay. Paul, with, Paul accepts the fact of slavery and gives instruction to slave masters, and he gives instructions to slaves on how they are to behave, recognizing the reality that this is an institution. Um, when he writes to a slave owner named Philemon, he doesn't insist on the release of Onesimus, the slave, but he hints broadly that maybe Onesimus should be, treating, be, be treated differently and in a different way. But what Paul also recognizes is that... Um, Realities of who we are before God don't negate the realities of who we are in the world. And so, if I happen to be a slave, I'm still a slave even though I am a Christian. But you're right. So, you have... Didn't the church use... <coughs> I've heard that I wasn't alive, but that the church used Scripture to base why we should have slavery in America. Yeah, that's true. Excuse me. The slave owners made a good use out of Paul's admonition to slaves be submissive and all this kind of stuff. No doubt about that. And people have said, well, see, therefore, then you can't trust the Bible because it's irrelevant, this kind of stuff. The fact of the matter is, Paul was addressing his world, and he also understood that this is the way it is at this time. Is it always going to be this way? Eh, it might change, and it could. And so is slavery uh, being endorsed by God? No. It's just understood as this is how the world is functioning at that time. And Paul says, we're not out here trying to turn every human institution on its head, which is another whole can of worms, which we don't have time to open up and deal with at all. You have to wait until much later <laughs> to deal with that. But the whole issue of the societal impact of Christianity, what the intention of it is, and whether or not we should be trying to change society. And the, the short answer is, it's going to have an impact, but is that the the primary objective? No, I don't believe it is. I think that's how Paul treats it. So would Paul be upset with slavery coming down? No. Would he demand it? No. Okay. The treatment of the people. <laughs> he was concerned about Christians acting like Christians, whatever they're doing. So if you're a slave, be a Christian slave. If you're a master, be a Christian master. That's that's what he's interested in. He's talking to Christians. Now, on another level, if he could do something about it, would he be interested in the welfare of slaves, whether or not Christian or Christian? Probably. It's because that's 
an appropriate godly attitude to be concerned for people and their well-being. And so, broadly considered, is it better if people are free than being slaves? Yeah, probably better. And so, ultimately, should the church work for the abolition of slavery? Yeah, probably. Should that become its number one objective? No. But it's not a bad thing to be working for that. So, is the church interested in social change and in political issues? Sure, we have an interest. That's never our primary objective. And that's one of the mistakes that gets made in a lot of the more liberal-leaning churches, and even some of the right-wing churches, but they begin to think that um, political change or social change is, is what it's all about. And that's not the purpose of the church. Churches here claim the gospel, make known God's plan of salvation. Not to carry this on, but the uh, like a lot, like growing up in Chicago, you heard all the time, especially with the Baptist mm-hmm. churches. It, I never attended, so I don't know, but media gave the perception that. A lot of it was social. I mean, they get up. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a nice avenue. It gives the church some relevance. We feel comfortable with that. The media can talk about that, and even people in politics can go along with that. Church is here to uh, affect social change. And there are too many churches that think, yeah, okay, that's what we're here for. It's not, but they can fall into that trap pretty easily. I agree with that. Okay? Other questions on Scripture then, and how we read Scripture and how we approach it. Okay.